Hello, friends. It's Doug from Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And I just want to say a big happy birthday to one Mr. Eric Roberts. The 18th of April, which is when we're releasing this episode, is his 60th birthday. And I also want to add on to that, that we're in the middle of upgrading some of our audio equipment here at Eric Roberts is the fucking man. So this episode... It's not quite up to the quality that we would normally have in terms of audio quality, I should say. The episode itself, I think, is actually a pretty great listen. Uh, So I hope you'll bear with us as we make some improvements, and we'll be back to our normal quality, hopefully, very soon. But enough of me jibber-jabbering. On with the show. Eric Roberts is a fucking man. He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began. We should give him every medal, every trophy, and award. He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard. Eric Roberts, fucking man. Eric Roberts, the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. Yo, Adrian, it's episode number 24 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the number one rated Eric Roberts related podcast for listeners between the ages of 18 and 45. This week, we're celebrating Stallone Palooza. And with me, as always, is my lovely and talented co host, Mr. Liam the Dream O'Donnell. How are you, Liam? I'm pretty great. How are you? I'm doing so well, Liam. Uh, listeners, uh, uh, sharp-eared listeners might notice that I have a bit of a cold today, so I need you, Liam, to pick up the slack. What do you think about that? Uh, I think I can handle that for the most part, though my voice does not have the smooth cadence of yours. No, I understand that, Liam. That's why I'm you – know, look, you're my co-host, and I don't want to rank hosts, right? That would be unfair to you. Sure. But if I was going to rank them – I'd be number one, and you'd be number two. What do you think? I'm like the assistant host. I'm not the co-host. I'm like the assistant host. That's right. You're the <laughs> assistant host. I will introduce you as the assistant host in the future. <laughs> what do you think, Liam, of Mr. Sylvester Stallone? I appreciate certain things a lot uh, that uh, Mr. Stallone has been a part of, examples being the first Rocky or the first uh, Rambo, First Blood, or uh, Copland. Right? Creed. So you're a, you're a huge fan of Sylvester Stallone. Well, I don't know about huge fan, but, you know, he exists. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you appreciate his existence because today on the show, Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the show that you're a host of with me, we're going to be talking about two Eric Roberts movies which also happen to have Sylvester Stallone in them. What? I know. It's pretty amazing. In fact, you could say that these are the only two movies which have Eric Roberts and Sylvester Stallone, but that is a theme that we're going to latch onto and really delve deep into. Now, that that has to be exciting for you, Liam. Uh, Talking about Eric Roberts is always exciting. I can't get around that. Now, have you been watching any Eric Roberts material in your spare time over the last two weeks? I have not. I have been what? insanely busy, and so I have not been able to watch a lot of outside materials. Well, it is piling up. I think you do know that. Yeah, no, I know. The, he uh, just keeps being in things. He does. Someone posted on uh, on Twitter, they sent uh, me a message to say that they were watching that movie K-Town Cowboys, the, uh, the Korean, well, it's not a Korean movie, it's an American movie starring Korean-American actors, which is sort of a take on uh, The Hangover, except... Uh, with uh, Korean actors and Eric Roberts. 
Yeah, I saw that post as well. Uh, that I saw the trailer. It, it's a movie. Yeah, it certainly is. That's <laughs> enough. That's enough jibber-jabber, Liam. Today we actually have a very special guest visiting the podcast. Uh, he was a producer on the great Jodorowsky's Dune and NYCH documentaries, both of which I know you love, Liam. Say how much you love them right now. Uh, NYHC, please, Doug. Thanks. Oh, yeah, I probably wrote it down wrong on this uh, on this here piece of virtual paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, the, I'm i a huge Jodorowsky fan, so when that documentary came out, it was such an interesting, uh, you know, examination of his work and his process and the New York Harper documentary. I mean, just as a kid, that, that was the scene I sort of first got into. So, uh, it, it appealed, especially the soundtrack just for that. And then since it's such a weird character piece with so many weird and interesting and funny people in it that people I know who don't even know that much about the music love that documentary. He's also the co-writer of 2015's final girl and the upcoming beyond the gates. But most of all, he's a great guy. Very strong supporter of Eric Roberts as the fucking man and friend of the show. Welcome, Stephen Scarlatta. How are you doing, Stephen? Uh, I'm all right, man. Thank you very much for having me on, and thank you for the kind words on NYHC. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Well, it was actually Liam's kind words because I said the title wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know, actually, Liam and the director have gotten together, the director of NYHC, and had themselves a little talk. So now we have the producer on the show. It's like we're working our way through the crew. What do you think about that, Stephen? (laughs) Well, well, thank you. It's just... You know, it's it's awesome to be on a show to, you know, like this. And uh, thank you for, you know, thank you for promoting it and putting the word out there about it. Thank you. Well, I can't help but put the word out. Stephen, I need to know, what is it about Eric Roberts that you love so much? Oh, uh, I, 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 I love it when I love him because he gets emotional in movies like Best of the Best part two mm-hmm. that don't deserve a moment of, of like that of emotion but he still does it and doesn't phone it in he just fucking does it and it makes that movie fantastic um i just i love it when he when he cries and freaks out he's <laughs> you know like there was this trend in the 90s with like harvey Keitel crying in, in movies and freaking out but man but eric roberts is the master of it so now, steven do you think it's okay for a man to cry Absolutely, especially when you see Eric Roberts do it. It's like you don't feel ashamed when you do it. That's right. He's a tough guy, but he also has heart, which is, of course, why we decided to create a podcast devoted to his expansive filmography. What is your favorite Eric Roberts performance, Stephen? Oh, wow. Favorite Roberts performance. (laughs) It's a big one. It's a hard question to answer, but it's one that I'm going to just sit here until you do. Um, It it would probably be... I mean, definitely, I'll give two, like, I'll, I'll say, like, um, Pope of Greenwich Village is a oh, yes. performance, so it's Star 80. Um, yeah, Star 80 is freaking amazing, and actually, when I, was, when, I was, when I saw it for the first time, it that role disturbed the hell out of me. And I just love seeing him just pop up in movies like, just, like, The Dark Knight, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, he doesn't phone it in, he just, he always... He's always Eric Roberts, and it's so – it's like – it's comforting when you see him, you know, like when you want comforting food or something, you know. It's just – it always feels good when you see him pop on screen. Like I was watching for some fucking reason because <laughs> I couldn't find the remote or my or what. I was watching Fat Girls, and I was like, this movie is just so horrible. And then all of a sudden, he just popped in, and I was like, wow. 
<laughs> my day, I'm happy I watched some of this because I just saw him pop in and he saved, not, no spoiler, he saves the day in that movie. It's fantastic. Well, that is a spoiler, but thank you very much for telling us. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, covered on a future episode because Liam and I made a blood oath to talk about all Eric Roberts films, televisions, televisions, television shows, and of course, his own podcast, which we'll get to eventually. Now, since we're talking about Eric Roberts' work with Sylvester Stallone today, I also want to ask you, Stephen, what do you think about Sylvester Stallone? Uh, I, I'm a huge Sylvester Stallone fan. I, I grew up in the 80s. So I've seen, like, throughout the, 80, throughout the 80s and 90s, up until The Specialist, to be honest, I, I, saw, <laughs> I saw, like, probably 85% of his filmography in the theaters. You know, I saw all the Rockies, all First Blood, Rambo, I just... Cobra to Tango and Cash. I just would, you know, he was just a a big part of my life. Plus, um, the movie Rocky. I was, a te- you know, my Italian household. My brother was trying to be a boxer, and so all he'd listen to was oh the Rocky God. soundtracks. All <laughs> four of them, and that movie. All four of those movies at the time before the fifth one came out would be constantly playing. So he was just like, yeah, he was a pretty big figure in my household and for myself growing up. So I was a huge Stallone fan. That does beg the question, Stephen. What was it about The Specialist that made it that you did not want to see it in the theater? Um, well, it, it's crazy because I loved Cliffhanger. I loved Demolition Man. It's, you know, I think now everyone is realizing it's probably its best film of the 90s. You know, next to Copland is good, but it's a great emotional performance for him. But freaking Demolition Man is a phenomenal film. And then I guess when The Specialist came out, it's when you saw the commercials for it, which which sucks too, because it has a fantastic cast like Eric right. Roberts, James Woods, and Stallone on screen. You Rod Steiger, yeah, with that accent, you're like. <laughs> I think what it was when you saw those commercials, you knew it wasn't an action movie, and it looked like it was going to be erotic Stallone, right? Because we just got erotic Bruce Willis with Color of Night. An erotic James Belushi with fucking traces of red, you know, and it's just like, I, you know, just the erotic action film just wasn't calling me at that time, you know, and I guess at that time I was also in film school, so maybe I was trying to watch, you know, I was discovering other filmmakers and stuff, so it was like, ah, I guess I had to take the, the break from Stallone for that moment. Here's a Sylvester Stallone anecdote. I have a friend uh, who was living in L.A. in the early 90s, and she was on the set of Demolition Man because a friend of hers, I guess, uh, was related to one of the producers. So they were walking around on the set, and Sylvester Stallone was on that set because he's in the movie. <laughs> but it was that scene, I think, where he gets, like, unfrozen or unjellied or whatever, uh, and he's naked. And apparently he was walking around naked on the set, and all he was saying to everybody was, hey, is it cold in here or is it just me? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. I do that on every set, if I was. <laughs> so I can't think about Sylvester Stallone <laughs> without thinking about, is it cold in here? So that, that's me. That's on me. That is certainly not the fault of Mr. Stallone himself. And, of course, we're going to be very kind to, the, to Sylvester Stallone because he was just nominated for an Academy Award for his performance in Creed. Yes, he should have won. He did not, though. He I did know. not win. <laughs> the award went to Mark Rylance for his performance in Bridge of Spies. What did you think of that performance, Stephen? I have not seen Bridge of Spies, but <laughs> I cried watching Creed, so his performance really touched me. And so I'm just I was really upset he didn't win. All right. Well, we're going to get over 
a lot of our emotional baggage today talking about these Eric Robert and Sylvester Stallone movies. But before we do that, we have to, of course, talk about The Roberts Report. Another day, another episode, another Roberts Report. And this might be the most special edition of the Roberts Report we've ever done because on the day we're recording this, it is actually the day before the birthday of Mr. Eric Roberts, the the titular Eric Roberts, the man who gave this show its theme and its name and its content. And really, I don't think it could be. I think it would be safe to say, Liam, you can disagree if you want, that it would be hard for this show to exist without Eric Roberts. <laughs> I mean, it would be a strange show if we dedicated a show to uh, someone named Eric Roberts who was not the amazing talent that uh, Eric Roberts is. As I've mentioned in the past, I do have a Google alert for the name Eric Roberts, uh, and I can tell you that there's a surprising number of people in the United States of America with the name Eric Roberts who are not the actor Eric Roberts. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Well, not only is tomorrow... Uh, probably today, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, the 18th is when his birthday is. Not only is it his birthday, it's his 60th birthday, which is a significant one. I, I understand that that's a pretty big deal to be turning 60. So I, from the bottom of my heart, want to wish Eric Roberts a very happy 60th birthday. And I'm sure, Liam, do you have a few words to say about Eric Roberts on his 60th birthday? Well, uh, I hope it is fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, it makes him feel more young than old, and that uh, there aren't any ghosts involved. Oh, right, because because he, he my what what a deep callback you just did there. Uh-huh. As we know, Eric Roberts has had several supernatural experiences that have been documented on television shows, which involve him encountering ghosts. So yes, let's have a ghost-free 60th. Eric Roberts, Stephen, do you want to wish? Eric Roberts, a happy birthday. Oh, oh absolutely. Um, I wish Eric Roberts the best on his birthday and and applaud him for his incredible, incredible career. Let's hope for 60 more. That's what I say. I agree. <laughs> I don't know if I would wish that, actually. but Well, you know, advances in technology. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a fit man as well. And speaking of fit men, recently Chris Pratt, who is an action star on his own right, or in his own right, the star of the Guardians of the Galaxy now franchise, and of course, uh, regular appearances in Parks and Recreation and all sorts of different projects. Chris Pratt was on the MTV Movie Awards, and he gave a list of all of the action heroes who inspired him along the way before starring in Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy. And he listed off a lot of names that will be actually very pertinent to this episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, including Arnold Schwarzenegger... Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Jackie Chan, Jason Statham, Liam Neeson, and who is it? Who was I going to say, Liam? Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts. And it's funny because I said Liam Neeson right before then, and your name is Liam. Yeah, no, I, that's odd. I've been able to figure that out as well. You know, it's kind of funny. I don't – maybe it's just me, and maybe it's because I've been watching a lot of Eric Roberts movies over the last couple of years for obvious reasons – I never really think of Eric Roberts as an action star. Is that my problem, Liam? I, so I, he holds a place in the minds 
of people as an action star, I think, for a surprisingly small amount of movies. But I think they were movies that for some people were very important. So uh, we've already uh, talked a little bit about this in the past, but the best of the best movies, I think, though maybe not massive franchises, were very important for some people within that genre. So I think that's why people think of it that way. But as someone who has seen more of his filmography maybe than uh, a casual fan, mm-hmm. um, you are familiar that action is just one section of what he's been able to do. And you've seen some of his action movies that were maybe less impressive than some of the others. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but Stephen, when you were thinking about Eric Roberts, one of the first things that you thought about was his performance in Best of the Best 2. When you think of Eric Roberts, do you think of his kind of emotional performances like things that, like the, the Pope of Greenwich Village or Star 81st? Or do you think of him in performances like the Best of the Best series? Uh, I, I do Best of the Best because that was the first real... I mean, I knew of Eric Roberts growing up because of I, I grew up on HBO, and it would right. always be like, and Eric Roberts. And so I, <laughs> I was aware of the actor. I wasn't watching those times of films. And then when I watched Best of the Best, when I rented it for the first time, it was this martial arts tournament film, and, and it had heart in it, and that was Eric Roberts. And like I said, I love both of those films. Um, both of the best of the best films and, and I guess <clears throat> this you know I, yeah you're right he's not really an action star but I think of the ambulance also which is somewhat he's doing action and absolutely you know so I I, I kind of do I mean my mind I do as well obviously not just your mind also the mind of Mr. Chris Pratt and maybe maybe again maybe it's just our perspective especially because he makes a lot of smaller appearances but of course he was brought in to be a member of the cast of The Expendables, which suggests that action and Eric Roberts are two things that are often connected in people's minds. Speaking of action, there's a movie coming up called American Sharia, the movie, <laughs> which is, uh, I guess, a parody or some sort of, of um, comedy drama, uh, which is uh, about the Muslim experience in the United States of America, and it features Eric Roberts as a crooked police officer, I don't think this is like that movie Crash from a few years ago. I think it is supposed to be a bit of a lighter tone to it. Uh, obviously, um, there's uh, obviously the topic of the film, the subject matter, is somewhat controversial in the United States. I've actually seen people on Twitter mention American Sharia and um, be sort of negative towards the very idea of it. But uh, yeah, Eric Roberts is going to be playing a crooked police officer that is harassing and profiling Muslims. And uh, in this article from the Huffington Post, which um, actually it's, it has a very clever title, which says that, that the movie is changing Hollywood to Halaliwood, uh, it mentions that Roberts is uh, going to end up in jail with a Muslim cellmate, and, uh, and I guess that's where he's sort of educated about the Muslim faith in there. Upcoming soon, keep your eyes out for American Sharia, the movie. Also... If you know Dustin Rickard's name, it's probably because of Dug Up, a zombie movie that was made a few years back that uh, will, in the very near future, be available on demand or uh, uh, in, in kind of some more visible form. It's not yet available on DVD. Uh, I bring him up not for no reason, but also because he's <laughs> currently the director of You're Going to Miss Me or You're Gonna Miss Me, which stars Eric Roberts and former Dukes of Hazard co-star John Schneider in what he describes as a dramedy 
in which the children of a former country music star go on a road trip to collect their inheritance. Uh, longtime listeners of the show might remember that we've mentioned You're Gonna Miss Me in the past, uh, but we only had kind of very basic details. But yes, a road movie with Eric Roberts and John Schneider about the children of a former country music star. Sounds great. Liam, do you think it sounds great? It sounds pretty amazing. All right. Would you like to elaborate on that? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, not particularly. <laughs> were you a Were you a fan of the Dukes of Hazard growing up, Liam? I know. Now I know you're you know you're an Eastern boy, so maybe <laughs> maybe that kind of material doesn't doesn't apply to you. Well, but I I think when I was young, and I think this was true of a lot of people who were my age, it it I didn't get all of the you know like the the battle flag on the car and the the old sheriff sort of stereotype. Like, all of that just seemed funny to me. It didn't seem indicative of anything. No part of me was like, oh, yeah, because they're in the South. I didn't know what that – you know what I mean? It, yeah, right? Right? It, I, I identified it as not my experience, but, you know, I watched it at a time in my life where I was also watching reruns of Dark Shadows sure. or – uh, you, reruns of Hogan's Heroes, uh, or even like what was contemporary for me when I was watching reruns of Dukes of Hazard, uh, was like new episodes of like Night Court. It's not like <laughs> just because I lived in the city doesn't mean I was watching Night Court. Like, oh, I understand this. This is about my experience. Like, no, like all TV at that age was just funny stories or interesting right. stories, and I didn't realize only now going back, am I like. What was this show even about? What's going on? Steven, your thoughts on the Confederate flag? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> A very unfair thing for me to toss over to you just then. How about your thoughts on the Dukes of Hazzard? Um, well, when I was a kid when it was on, I would watch it because I'm old, and at, around that time there wasn't many channels. <laughs> you were, like, forced to watch whatever was on TV. So I would watch it, but I was, I was never, even though I was a big action fan, I was never too into the into the show. But I kind of like John Schneider's, uh, his sci-fi channel stuff, like Super Shark and Snow Beast. Right. I like that era of him. I enjoy those films. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, it wasn't for me, uh, The Dukes of Hazzard. It's growing up in a small town in Newfoundland, Canada, I can say that the Dukes of Hazard. I watched it as a kid, and I was like absolutely transfixed by it, mostly because it was so different than not only my own experience, but also you know anything that I was watching at the time. To me, it was just a show about a car. <laughs> it was a car that jumped around a lot, and two like like yourself, Liam. It wasn't like two Southern boys. I didn't know what that was, and I if they're I guess running moonshine. I don't know. I didn't know what that was either. Mm -hmm. So all it was was a family and a car that jumped around a lot. And to me, that's all I required out of my entertainment. And then Knight Rider started, and I'm like, well, I don't need that car. I have this yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. It took me a long time to figure out that cars don't just jump things all the time, though. Like, it's, you know, at the time, I was just like, yeah, this is what happens. Like, when you drive really fast, you just jump things with your car. And it was only years later, I'm like, why are they always, what, what is going on in this show, you know? <laughs> I have a bike. I can't do that. What's happening? <laughs> Finally, on this week's Roberts Report, recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb profile is 2017's Pontius Pilate. It is, according to the IMDb profile, the story of Lucius Pontius Pilate from his early days in Rome to the time he assists in the crucifying 
of Jesus. Uh, there isn't a lot of details on the IMDb page at the moment. It has a ridiculous-looking poster. Like, I don't know what it's supposed to be. It looks like um, uh, some sort of collage project done by a 12-year-old, but it is worth your uh, time to go over and check it out. It could be a very interesting movie. Uh, certainly, the story of Pontius Pilate, uh, I don't think, has been overdone in terms of the religious epics, and it could be something that would be uh, uh, pretty entertaining. It is going to star and be directed by George Panandreas, who... Um, Made a lot of movie appearances in the 80s, but I haven't seen him in anything in many a year. And, of course, Eric Roberts as Raphael, a Roman guard. In fact, those are the only two cast members currently listed on the IMDb page. Will we ever see 2017's Pontius Pilate? I suppose only time will tell. Liam <laughs> O'Donnell, what is your favorite song from Jesus Christ Superstar? Uh, the part where... Judas kills himself. God, that's so dark. But the reality is that song rips. Like, I think the riff in that song is, like, actually heavy as shit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the rest, I, I find Jesus Christ Superstar surprisingly charming because uh, I don't usually like musicals, and I usually don't like uh, art based around Jesus in any particular way. But uh, for whatever reason, Jesus Christ Superstar, something about, especially the film version, some about the crazy hippies and all the dancing and stuff. I don't know. I really like it. It's because it was directed by a Canadian, Norman Jewison. I'm sure that's why. Very sympathetic to Judas, Jesus Christ Superstar is. Yeah, well, and I think that's compelling uh, in, in that form. I, I, you know, he is, I don't know, I just, it, at least in that way of telling a story, he is a very compelling character. And that suicide scene is crushing. Steven, do you like musicals? Uh, to be honest, uh, I don't watch them. Well, how about how about attend them in the, the real life? Never have. No, not ever. Mm-mm. What if I was to tell you that I have two tickets to Hamilton and we're going tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> That's the hottest ticket in town. So it is the hottest ticket in town. Well, knowing that you're not a fan of the genre, Stephen... Is there still a musical that speaks to you? Is there any movie that you can think of that is packed with music that you're like, you know what, that's the exception for me? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I don't know if that Tenacious D movie counts. I, I, I enjoy it. It counts. One. I thought, <laughs> I like that one. And, um, I, God, that's the only one that pops to my mind immediately. That's, that's a perfectly reasonable example. In fact, if I remember correctly, isn't something like the first 15 minutes or 20 minutes of that movie, all music, including an appearance by... Meatloaf as Jack Black's father for some reason. And Dio. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Dio, yes, let's not forget that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess you're right, yeah. It's all, it's a whole lot of music in that one. Yeah. <laughs> Come to think of it, yeah, I cannot think of another musical, I'm sorry. What about a concert film, Stephen? A concert film, good question. Yeah. Again, let me think, is there a concert film? I, I liked, I mean, you know, you know what it was as a kid, I like this song remains the same because I had all those weird sure. movies in between of like freaking Robert Plant and like medieval England. And I just kind of just dug that, that scenery from that time. It just felt, I don't know, epic and strange. And it was just a weird vibe around that movie, maybe because of the music. Sure. Uh, but I, not like I watch it all the time. It was just when I was a kid, I watched it once and it, and it stuck <laughs> with me. So, that would be, oh yeah, I guess going back to musical, would Pink Floyd the Wall count? There you go, that of course would count. See, yeah, so I guess you love musicals, you didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, what's your favorite concert movie? Oh, I actually um, almost entirely hate concert movies. Holy uh, shit, what? 
Well, because I don't, I don't actually have a lot of affection uh, for classic rock. I didn't really grow up with it. Um, I actually, before I was exposed to punk, I mostly listened to hip hop, and my mom around the house listened to like some Rolling Stones and some uh, like uh, Motown. But rock as a thing wasn't really something I invested in. I guess prior to punk, there was a brief metal phase in like the very early 90s, late 80s, when kind of everybody was getting into a metal phase. But even that, I never fully bought in. It was just there was a few records I felt like I had to have. But uh, no, classic rock is something I went back to post-college as a way to like get to know girls who all love that stuff. And I was like, oh, nobody likes all these punk records I have around the house. I better get to know some of this other shit so girls won't think I'm a fucking weirdo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry, what is your favorite concert movie? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, uh, let me think. Have I seen any concert movies that uh, I'm into? I can't actually think of one. It's so funny. I've, I, I have seen more musicals I like than concert movies, which is really weird. That's interesting. I was going to say, of course, Jonathan Demme's Stop Making Sense. Uh, Between the Talking Heads, which, of course, would be, I guess, new wave-ish punk. For no, that would be a great example. I, the only Talking Heads movie I know is the, what's the other one that he made? True Stories? Yeah, I own True Stories. That's great. But that's well, not a concert great. movie, yeah. So you don't enjoy Stop Making Sense. That's interesting. I haven't seen it. What's your fucking problem? Liam O'Donnell. I'm a monster, obviously. What if I was to tell you (laughs) it featured Eric Roberts in a small role? (laughs) Does it? Really? No, it it does not. Uh, Oh, shit. All right, enough enough of me just wasting time. (laughs) (laughs) We need to take our first break. Because when we return, Stallone Palooza will continue. With our discussion of 1994's The Specialist. Yes, a golden age for fans of Sylvester Stallone in 1994. And then, of course, we will talk about The Expendables. Stay with us when we return The Specialist.
Ray Quick is an ex-CIA bomb expert now living as a, as a high-tech outsider somewhere in Miami, Florida. May Monroe has heard of his skills and tries over and over to convince Ray to bomb the guys who killed her parents once. Who wrote this fucking thing? We're talking about 1994's The Specialist, directed by Luis Loza, uh, the director of Sniper, a Tom Berenger classic from 1993, as well as Anaconda, starring uh, John Voight. <laughs> That's right, Runaway Trains, John Voight, in 1997, and it was actually written by uh, Alexandra Seros, who uh, uh, wrote The Point of No Return a few years before the special show, actually, I guess maybe just a year before it. It does indeed star uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, Rod Steiger, also has, of course, uh, Sharon Stone, yes, two actors whose initials are SS in this movie, and <laughs> amusing on top of that, Steven Seagal was almost in this movie, <laughs> unfortunately wanted a little bit too much money. One of the rare financial successes for, Steve, for Sylvester Stallone in the 1990s. But I want to get your thoughts on 1994's The Specialist. I have to be honest, I have very mixed feelings about this movie. I want to start with you, Stephen, since you're our special guest today. What do you think of The Specialist? Um, like I was saying earlier, I kind of skipped this one in the 90s. I saw parts of it on HBO, so... Believe it or not, for this episode was the first time I sat down and watched it beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And so, which is rare for Stallone movie and me. So, uh, to be honest, I, I didn't hate it. I did enjoy it. Strangely enough, I really enjoyed the film. Um, but yeah, it's 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 got a lot of problems. I think, like you you're saying, who wrote this? I think it's the it's the script. It's kind of convoluted, and there's these twists that happen, and you're like, oh, this is really weird. But to be honest, I think the glue of this entire film is is um, as much as I like Eric Roberts in this film, he's slick. I, James Woods is just yeah. phenomenal in this movie. Absolutely, and, he carries it to such a strong extent. James Woods plays a former partner of Ray Quick, played by Sylvester Stallone, who has now become his kind of greatest nemesis because he's so ruthless. And James Woods is at full. James Woods in this movie, all twitchy, all, all, I mean, pure evil and slimy and scummy, just like you like him, just like he kind of is in real life. Uh, and, and he really, he kind of saves it because he's the only character who kind of brings life to a lot of his scenes. Yeah, like, for instance, like, even, I mean, I, I like Sharon Stone, and she had that one-two punch of basic instinct and sliver, and so she was becoming, like, the erotic actress. Um, throughout this film, I don't know. When she's with Stallone, they have the same monotone when they talk to each other. Yes, they do. But the moment she's on screen with James Woods in this film, that scene is really good. The way yeah. he treats her and the way she takes it as an actress, it's a it's a great scene. I thought like he just he's bringing out the best out of everybody in every scene he's in. It's pretty pretty wild. Now I have a question for you, Stephen. Say you had someone in your life that you needed killed. Or someone who wasn't in your life that you needed killed, and you needed to hire somebody to do it. Is there a particularly good reason that you would hire someone to blow them up with explosives as opposed to shooting them? <laughs> oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> I, I, like he, like Stallone is a bomb expert, so he's able to create these very specifically targeted bombs, which apparently only kill the person that he's aiming for and nobody else. But it still seems like it's a very messy way to kill somebody. Yes, you're you're absolutely correct. <laughs> I, I don't know. That might be one of the 
the many problems is and why are you gonna start dating the guy you wanna have killed when you already kinda hired the assassin to start doing it? <laughs> the assassin who's very specifically saying to stay away from this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of instances like that, so I, I can't answer that question unfortunately. I don't know. I think in the Roger Ebert review of The Specialist, he mentions that after he was done watching the movie, there were a bunch of people out by, like, the popcorn stand, all trying to figure out what Sharon Stone's motivations for what she was doing in the movie were, and they couldn't figure it out, which does suggest that maybe the plot is a bit more convoluted than it needs to be. Liam O'Donnell, what did you think of 1994's The Specialist? When it first starts... Between the, you know, the flashback of them in in, uh, South America killing the drug lord, and then we see Sylvester Stolen outside the club and with the music and the colors, I, you know, I was kind of like, all right, like, there's, there's something, there's a certain kind of 90s movie that this movie is, and I don't know how I missed it, though. Uh, there are parts of the film that feel very familiar to me. So maybe I watched a TV version. It certainly had less shared. Uh, Sharon Stone parading around not in clothes than this version <laughs> did, but uh, but I, I, regardless, the point is I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be fun, you know, it's a certain kind of camp. I'm really into it. But the idea, which we're given pretty quickly, of well, you know, we could just shoot this guy, but it's so much more accurate if we blow him up. <laughs> I was out. I was immediately out. And then, and then the fact that the, what makes this guy special is that he uses the shape charges, which is the dumbest thing ever. And the idea that we, therefore there's like less explosion. I'm like, right. the only plus to the explosion over the not explosion is that the explosion is bigger. So you could kill more people. If what you're looking for is pinpoint accuracy, <laughs> I hate to tell you the bullet is the way to go. And while, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I was not against this movie. James Woods, as both of you have said, really add something to the movie and really kind of kept bringing me back in. I also got to say, uh, you know, usually when you have a movie where no one who is supposed to be a Spanish speaker is in any way like a Spanish speaker, like Rod Steiger in this movie, I should have been like, what is going on with Rod Steiger? <laughs> but instead, I was like, yeah, Rod, you do it, man. You own this role. It's, it's funny. It's, it's, I, I mean, maybe it's just the campiness made me ignore that aspect of the movie. <laughs> but whatever it was, it, you know, there was a lot of things I enjoyed. But I got to say, uh, Sylvester Stallone in this movie, he, he – he can't even walk without looking stiff, let alone deliver a lie. Like he, when he's, he's very sinewy. As he walks, he looks like he has some sort of horrifying injury to his lower back slash button area. He just can't move in the film. And then when he's fighting, I was supposed to believe he's fighting. That was a little difficult for me. And I, and Sharon Stone was not like, I, I agree. I think her scenes with Janice Woods are the best. Every time she's talking to Sylvester Stallone, it's kind of awkward. And, I have this memory, you know, she, this whole erotic Sharon Stone thing happened when I was a young man. So sure. I'm like, oh yeah, Sharon Stone, wonderful. And in this movie, I'm like, ah, she's, I, she's not that attractive. Like I just, oh boy, look I'm at lucky. you. I don't, and it only became an issue because there are long sections of the movie that exist just for her to pose 
nothing's happening. She's just on the phone, but she can't just be on the phone. She has to be like striking. I, I, you know, I don't know if that's Stallone imagining how sexy she is, or if when she's on the phone, she just has to like lay on the floor and put one leg up, or that's just who. But it went on so long that after a while, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. She has lingerie on. Yeah, that's maybe you'd like her a little more if she had a safety pin in her nose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. You're kind of right about those scenes, though, because it's almost like that that Aerosmith "Sweet Emotions" video, where <laughs> they just kept showing this chick in a skirt, all she's on the phone, and then cutting back to someone talking. You know, it was like a music video, and then and then it was that really weird, awkward, like Red Shoe Diaries montage. Oh my yes, <laughs> exercising in her. On the, it was like, yeah, I don't. This movie, it was kind of all over the place, but it, it, was, it was it was like erotic thriller action film um noir like it kind of didn't know what it was it seemed like a movie that was sort of it was kind of massaged to meet the um the cast that it ended up having having sorry Mm -hmm. so it was like sharon stone's in the cast so it needs to have the erotic thriller element sylvester stallone's in the cast so there has to be a certain element of action or some of those scenes that we kind of connect with the characters that he normally plays Mm -hmm. and uh, of course james woods is going to be a sleazy asshole because of course he is but there is one scene in the movie that is sort of classic stallone this involves him going onto a bus (laughs) which is filled with um diverse miscreants who are being jerks to people (laughs) for no reason you know the kind of like punky assholes that you really only find in early 90s movies who are like touching people's hair and taking the seats of pregnant women um, just to be a jerk. Yeah. And then Stallone, he sees this, right? And he's a good guy, because we might not be sure up to this point. He's a good guy, so what he's going to do is destroy a lot of property. (laughs) A lot of property. And and really just terrorize a whole bus full of people uh, in a a different way than those guys were terrorizing them previously. What did you think of that scene, Stephen, where Sylvester Stallone beats up a bunch of punks on a bus? It, it, yeah, I, I, I like there was there was a couple of sequences in this film that don't feel like they belonged. Um, that one was one of them, <laughs> but I, I did enjoy that scene. Like the guy takes the seat when Stallone <laughs> offers it to a to a woman, and he beats the hell out of him, and like you said, he throws one through a window, and then he offers the girl the seat again. Like the bus is going to keep him. Going, doing its thing when now there's a freaking broken window and like half dead thugs over the bus. It's like, well, no, you just you just ruined this bus ride for everybody. This is horrible. <laughs> I like how his purpose is you're supposed to basically stand up and clap because he beat these guys almost to death. Who look? Let's face it, they were pricks. They were. They sure. pro- they deserved to be beaten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but maybe that guy who got thrown through the window, maybe that was a little excessive. It really does seem like a scene that was like Stallone had when he was making Cobra, and he was like, eh, I'll just put it in this movie instead. It, who it, cares? It made me think, you know, uh, I don't know if you've had these interactions, but people who uh, write about film but maybe don't really like fun very much – and they'll write about the action hero as like this horrible sort of embodiment of male violence. Or, and in general, I find these critiques to be like a little hand-handed, just sort of like a lot of crying. Sure. And 
this would be the counter. Like, if I was like, I don't know if that really, they're like, what about this bus scene of the specialist? I'd be like, okay, that's fair. That is a, that is a scene where you're like, come on, that's really what you got. That's your only option in this situation is to throw a guy through a window. Especially because what happens after that? Lady doesn't get to sit down and go on her trip. The buses just go like, all right, let's just keep going. Like, that's fine. I, I think, uh, Stallone says something like, uh, there's vacant seats here now. <laughs> there's lots of vacancies. And it's like, yeah, we can sit down. We'll sit down until the police arrive, right? <laughs> and we all have to give fucking reports about this maniac. I love how that scene then just cuts to him just continuing on with his journey. Like, I like the th- I like the idea that there was like a month in between where he had to like to go on trial for this horrible beating <laughs> he laid out. <laughs> it's just this whole different story. I also thought it was very interesting that Sylvester Stallone's movie, uh, character story in this movie, he takes a lot of public transportation. He is yeah. the most eco-friendly action star that I think I've ever seen in this movie. Uh, I guess because he needs to go from payphone to payphone in order to access the various BBSs that he's enjoying on his 14-4 modem. Uh, <laughs> so he can make his contacts for his – like, I don't know how he sustains his living. I guess, like, you only really need to do a couple of explosion-based murders a year in order to support a very large uh, – very booby-trapped living space. But, uh, but yeah, so I guess Ray Quick manages to make that happen. Let's talk, about, <clears throat> let's talk about James Woods a little bit more here. I think early 90s James Woods, look, I like a lot of James Woods' performances. In fact, uh, people who know me know that I think Digstown is one of the most underrated movies ever. And James Woods, is, James Woods and Bruce Dern are the two reasons why. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, early 90s James Woods is my favorite James Woods, even though he is always kind of infringing. He's like right on the edge of being a parody of himself. But he can play – what's great is that he can play a good guy or the worst guy in the world, and he can be almost exactly the same in terms of the character, <laughs> right? Just because he's either sleazy asshole with a maybe a heart of gold or he's just a sleazy asshole, and that's fine too. And I really do love – those performances. And again, he is the highlight of this movie by a significant amount because he he is the only one who seems to bring any flavor to the scenes that he's in. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Stephen, the, the Ray Quicks, the Sylvester Stallone character and the Sharon Stone character, there is when they're speaking to each other, not only is there not a, like a spark between them, it I remember both of these actors having charisma in other roles, but in, when they're together in this, it just seems like such a waste. It just feels like nothing is going on, and it, it kind of grinds the movie to a halt. Now, speaking of grinding, there are some explicit sex scenes in this movie, featuring, of course, early 90s Sharon Stone. I also have to say that, like Liam, and I know I made fun of you for this, Liam, I didn't find those scenes particularly erotic. In fact, I found them a little unpleasant. <laughs> you know, and I don't know what it was about them. I mean, like you said, they're shot very Red Shoe Diaries style. It very much is exactly like all sex scenes at that time period were. But it's something about Sylvester Stallone's body with Sharon Stone's body, and it actually made me a little bit ill to watch. Can you explain this to me, Stephen? I, I, I guess it. I guess it was. I, I have a. I don't know. I. I, I don't want. I don't want to talk <laughs> bad or anything. But this sure. Is just you know, this is probably my opinion of probably what happened, but sure. it's completely wrong. And you have to take into account, Stephen, that I'm I'm messed up, right? So all you're doing really right now is giving like a psychological profile of the reasoning 
why I couldn't enjoy those scenes. Yeah, I, I have a feeling it was just all about Stallone kind of posing, and I have a feeling maybe he directed the scene, because just the way he would, like, put her in this weird headlock when she'd be behind him and pose and stretch, it was just really, really awkward, and yeah, you're right, it was uncomfortable. Didn't it seem like Stallone was the focus of those scenes? Rather than Sharon Stone, it was very strange. Like, 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 just, just kind of the outline of his body. He always seemed to be front and center in the frame. I think it's because, to a certain extent, he was blocking some of her nudity. So I guess that's why they decided to do it. But he, it, it almost comes off that he's like the more passive character in those scenes. It's very, very strange when you watch it. Or maybe, maybe I just didn't know what I was expecting. And and when I think of early '90s Sharon Stone, I think of those erotic thrillers where she is such a force in them, right? And she's such controlled, yeah. uh, such controlled performances. But here she's supposed to be kind of like giving herself over to this strong, really impossibly statuesque man <laughs> yeah, who looks like he has the movement of a mid-80s He-Man action figure <laughs> where he can only twist at the waist. But yeah, no, those scenes, I, I, I have to say, it, they, I found them fascinating in the way that I couldn't enjoy them. Um, and also, I've seen a lot of a lot more nudity since then, so maybe that also had something to do with it. No, true, true. Yeah, like I'm saying, it's erotic Stallone. You know, it's almost yeah. Like it's it's and, and it's like you know Van Damme showed his ass a lot back then, and and Bruce Willis showed a lot in Color of Night. So I guess it was just like his turn. I guess it was just a maybe it was just like there was a lot of erotic thrills coming around this time. So they were trying to do the erotic, sexy thriller action film. So I guess, right. you know, he, it was his time to show his butt again. Yeah. yeah. And he does. He shows his butt. And, uh, and also maybe that anecdote I mentioned about him saying, is it golden here? Is it just me? Maybe that also influenced my inability to enjoy it. But, but you're right. It seemed like that scene was more for the ladies and more for Stallone versus men who would want, you know, I guess we have to see Sliver to get more stone. Steven, do you think that women find Sylvester Stallone attractive? (laughs) I mean, obviously he's a very, (laughs) he's obviously a very well-built man, right? Obviously. I mean, he has has an amazing body. I would say, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Why wouldn't they? (laughs) Why would He's a chiseled, handsome guy, and he's—I can't argue with that. You know, <laughs> you know he's got a cool voice. I you wish think, I was Stallone. Seriously, yeah, <laughs> I got you. Hey, I'm right there with you. Do you think that they find him sexy? Um, yeah, I bet they did, especially '80s Stallone. You know, I bet they. That, yeah. Do you a, think that Rambo, part of the audience, would be females who would be like, "Oh, he's so sexy"? I I think so. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm actually not arguing with that uh, in any way. I'm just actually not 100 percent sure. Liam, any thoughts on the sexiness of Sylvester Stallone? I mean, it's it's hard because I I think that human sexuality is unique and people are attracted to all kinds of things. So <laughs> I don't I don't want to discount any possibility. Uh, to me, the Stallone of say like. Even even Ram even the first Rambo is right? different than the Stallone of the Specialist. Like right? in this movie, I just I'm just I he just doesn't look okay to me. I would be concerned for his health. It's how I was watching it, feeling 
I mean, it's funny because you, you this was what we were talking about just after you were talking about the craziness of James Woods. And I don't know anything about these people, but watching this movie, I just everything felt like a cocaine fever dream to me. <laughs> and uh, not the least of which the idea of this like sex scene with him and 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 uh Sharon Stone, it it felt awkward. It felt the it when you were saying I I don't know that I felt weird about Sylvester Stallone the way he was posed, but each scene felt posed in a way that was not natural. Like it didn't feel like these were two people that were comfortable with each other. And I think that was a little awkward for me, but you know, whatever. I mean, I also, uh, I kind of am used to the idea that by this point, a lot of his physicality was about what he wanted for movies. Like he wanted to look and appear a certain way. It's interesting to contrast, say, with his performance in Creed, in which he seems more like the muscle-bound but mostly wee man that he is, sure. as opposed to this, like, you know, giant of, you know, the way they film him in these movies is he's so imposing, you know? There's a scene in this movie where Eric Roberts' character, who's basically like a spoiled brat, the spoiled son of Rod Steiger, and he is... um He's driving in his car, or he's being driven in his car, and notices that Sylvester Stallone's character is staring at him. So he stops the car, and he gets out, and basically he threatens Sylvester Stallone. In that sequence, Sylvester Stallone is so huge, right? I mean, he is massively large. So the idea of Eric Roberts pulling out the switchblade, and Sylvester Stallone just is just this guy. And he's like, I'm not doing nothing. And he's like, he looks like... He's been inflated, right? I mean, his his whole body is so large. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it almost makes that whole sequence a little bit comical. But let's talk about Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts is the focus of Eric Roberts as a fucking man, but hasn't really been the focus of our conversation so far. And that's for a number of different reasons. But let's start with you, Liam. What did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in this movie? And how come we're not talking about him? Well, I mean, the the in a movie of this kind, the bratty son who is being set up and uh, he's he's sort of the victim of not victim obviously because he's a bad <laughs> dude, but he's sort of the he's the target of Sharon Stone's various machinations, which turns out uh, Sylvester Stallone's character is as well um, because she's not exactly honest with him either. But you know, he, he's just sort of the target of these various assassination sort of plans and there's nothing that compel like I for me at least, there's nothing that compelling about him in this film. He's just he he does his role, he's sort of demanding. Uh the scenes with him and Sharon Stone are menacing enough, though uh it, it's not entirely clear I, I feel like he could have pulled that off a little bit more, especially after his performance in Stalk by My Doctor. Uh <laughs> that he could have been a little bit more uh, menacing in those scenes, but he's not the focal point of the movie. Like the the movie ends up being even when they haven't even directly interacted so much about Stallone and Woods, and it's it's you know when even when Eric Roberts is uh, spoiler alert killed off in the movie, <laughs> he uh, he's just sort of out of the way, and now it's about his dad. You know, like it's not it's it's not a big deal when he's gone. It's, it's a very strange role. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because he is very secondary. And, I mean, this is, you know, 1994. Eric Roberts' performance is fine, like you said. I think he could have been a lot more interesting. He certainly could have been a little bit quirkier or have a few more character traits 
that made us, you know, pay attention to him more. But he really isn't meant to be that. He's meant to be a bad guy who is dispatched of about three quarters of the way through the movie via explosion. Uh, and, and honestly, and then I was like, what is this movie going to be now? The whole point of the movie is to kill Eric Roberts, and now he's dead. And then you kind of have to set up that there's, of course, we have the James Woods baddie, and Rod Steiger, who really up to that point had been sort of a non-entity, he becomes the final target for everything. I will say that in terms of the things I had the most difficulty with in this movie, the one above all, even more than Assassin for Hire via Explosion, was the idea that Sharon Stone, as a child, saw her parents be murdered by Eric Roberts and his cronies when they're very visibly very close to the same age. Like, very close. Really close. Yeah. Like, impossibly close. Whoa. Because when Eric Roberts is in this movie, he isn't, he isn't like, I'm 40, you're 20. They look like they're like a year or two apart, which I think they are. Sorry, Stephen, you were going to say? No, I, th- I think what's really interesting about that point is also the flashback in the beginning with them doing the bridge thing. Um, right. James Woods and <laughs> look exactly the same again. I guess uh, the pre- I guess the time lapse between that one is only like four or five years. Or something, yeah, right? ten years. But yeah, you're right about the Sharon Stone. But you know, men age. You know, he, he ages very well. Hey, Eric Roberts has aged very well. He's going to be sixty. Yeah. <laughs> And so, by all your defense, you're right. It's a very good point. Well, what did you think, Stephen, of Eric Roberts in The Specialist? Uh, I thought he was really slick. I, I enjoyed his scenes when he's suited up, smoking a cigar, and, and telling chicks that he takes what he wants. <laughs> I, I, I wish, like, the scene when, you know, like, I, 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 I think they just, he just didn't have enough to play with. And, you know... There wasn't enough there to show a close relationship with him and his dad. He only had right. those very limited scenes. I, I loved whenever you know the few scenes he was with James Woods. I thought he would, brought out the best of him in this film. And but you know, like you said, it, it, it's yeah, it, it's tough. There just wasn't. He, he should be more memorable because when he's on screen, I did enjoy him. Like I said, sure. word a hundred times, he was he's slick in this film, but there's just not enough for him to do. He's kind of dispatched of in a. For one thing, I wasn't expecting him to be killed in that scene. <laughs> like I, it's it just like it seems like suddenly, oh, he's dead. Oh, okay. Like even <laughs> after he got blowed up real good, when they go to his funeral, there's all these questions about, hey, is Sharon Stone's character dead? And I'm like, well, yeah, no, she's not dead, and probably Eric Roberts isn't dead either because that wouldn't make a lot of sense. But he is. He's just gone. So yeah. he's kind of dis- his character is sort of even though it's the focus of the kind of first half of the movie. It's forgotten about to such an extent that when the movie ends, you kind of forget that he was even in the movie because he's so not the focal point of the second half. Uh, and, and again, James Wood's performance is, uh, performance is so strong and is so kind of forceful on the screen, and he kind of commands everything around him that it's easy for him to overtake a slick but uh, pretty restrained performance from Eric Roberts. That said, we've, we've, gone, we've gone as far as we can go with 1994's The Specialist. We have to answer... The very theme of this podcast, the very the very query at its center, it's whether Eric Roberts is the fucking man or not in The Specialist. Liam, I'm going to start with you. In The Specialist, is Eric Roberts the fucking man? It's hard because he, as, a, as I think uh, you both said, he's just not given very much. Uh, he's overshadowed by James Woods. And a lot of screen time where he could have been doing some real badass shit... 
is taken up with Sharon Stone on the phone. So, or, or Sylvester Stallone listening to recordings of Sharon Stone on the phone while he <laughs> runs errands and shit. So, um, you know, I, I wish he had more to do. That being said, what he does do is pretty good. I mean, he, he you know, th- this is yet again an example of Eric Roberts not, you know, turning in a bad performance, even if what he's given to do is not that much. So I think I'm going to go with, yes, that he's still the fucking man in this movie. All right, fair enough. What do you think, Stephen? Um, yeah, I, I agree, Liam, over there. Um, I I think he is the fucking man in this movie. I give it to him, the sequence when he's trying to impress Sharon Stone by beating someone up, and she, <laughs> I, you know, I think he, I did find heart in him in that scene, you know, that was, and the scene when he threatens James Woods. It was a really good scene too. So off of the little he was in there, and what, and his. His hair was really freaking cool. That's Dude. a good point. <laughs> Those reasons alone, yes, he is the fucking man. I think the hair does put it over the edge, and I will agree with the both of you and say that Eric Roberts is, of course, the fucking man. Over on uh, one of my social networks, I described the specialist as being like an early 90s John Woo movie without any of the action, with all the action cut <laughs> out of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because the way that the characters, like the, the kind of sleazy um, saxophone music in the background and all of these characters who have their own backgrounds who are like trying to connect in some way and, and there's all these kind of like long glances and people looking at each other from afar and, uh, and it seems like it should be like punctuated with big action set pieces all throughout, but like they just don't happen because in the world of this and because of what you're supposed to be following in this movie – the action comes in really, really short bursts of explosions. It's you're waiting for the explosion to happen, and then it happens. And so the action scenes are very, very short. In fact, it's it, this movie kind of trades. It kind of leans harder on the erotic thriller aspect than it does on the action aspect. And I think that's probably what I found the most difficult uh, while watching it. It's also a very long movie, and it feels it. Uh, it does pick up a bit in the last half, but it uh, it can it, it drags. And I have to say that I had difficulty. Uh, getting through it in one sitting. Not a big fan, I have to say, of 1994's The Specialist. But I need to give some time for my voice to recover. We need to take another break, because if we want action, well, we're about to go on action overload as Stallone Palooza continues with The Expendables. We're going to take a little break. <clears throat> we'll take a little break, and we'll be right back. In 2010, it finally happened. The all-star collection of action superstars came together in The Expendables, which involves a CIA operative hiring a team of mercenaries to eliminate a Latin dictator and a renegade CIA agent, played by Eric Roberts. 
But people most know The Expendables, and in fact, The Expendables series, because of its cast, its expansive cast of action heroes, including Sylvester Stallone, of course, also Jason Statham, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, the uh, UFC fighter, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and the rest, and of course, one Mr. Eric Roberts. Uh, I'll be honest, I had watched The Expendables sort of in passing before. I've had it on in the background and paid almost no attention to it. So this was my first time really sitting down, watching it from beginning to end. And in fact, just looking at the cast list right now, I'm only now realizing that Jason Statham's character is named Lee Christmas. Jesus. Fucking Jet Li's called Yin Yang. Anyway. The Expendables, uh, I have friends who are huge fans of this series, and uh, and you can see why with the sort of pedigree it has, and with Stallone actually directing as well. But I also know that it's sort of controversial in some circles. Some people aren't big fans. I'm going to actually start with you this time, Stephen. What do you think of 2010's The Expendables? Um, oh, I, I love The Expendables. It's... I... I um, I don't know. Were you recording early when we were talking about it? I can't remember. Um, I don't think so. Maybe not many. Uh, and I can cut it out in case you're going to repeat yourself. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, no, I love The Expendable, the first one and the second one, quite a bit. Uh, this was a really big deal when this was coming out. We've heard about it. We were all excited because Stallone was kind of in this straight-to-video world for a little while there. And then he made that comeback with, like, Rambo. And then once everyone heard that, he was going to be in a film with Bruce Willis and, and Schwarzenegger. Everyone was excited, like myself. Like, this was the most eagerly awaited film of that year for me, The Expendables. Like, I was so excited for this film. And I normally don't watch trailers, but I'm happy I did watch this trailer because right. I could tell that Bruce Willis and, and Schwarzenegger and him were only going to be in one scene together. <laughs> I totally. Right. So when I went in to see this film... I wasn't disappointed. You know, if I stayed away from that trailer and was expecting this to be all of those guys from the poster fighting together, then I would have been disappointed. But knowing what it was going to be, the gist of it, uh, yeah, I was there opening night at the Cinerama Dome and loved it and was the only person in the audience that when Eric Roberts' name came on screen, I applauded. <laughs> it was embarrassing because everyone applauded for – it wasn't embarrassing. I was proud because everyone voted for – everyone applauded for Stallone and, and Statham and Jet Li. But when Roberts' name came up, it's like, how could you not? I was like, yeah, and I applauded. And it was a great time, man. I'll never forget that film experience watching it for the first time. I mean, that sounds like the ideal way to experience this movie. You know, a, a crowd opening night – People who, who recognize everybody is in this movie are pumped to see it, are pumped for all the action in it. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, there are, there are certain circumstances behind watching certain movies that, for me, that kind of transcend anything regarding the movie itself. I'll always have fond memories or fond feelings towards it simply because of the situation in which I saw it. Liam, what do you think of The Expendables? Not for me. It's not a movie for me <laughs> in any way, shape, or You don't like action movies? Is that what you're trying so, to tell me? I mean, I went into, I went into the Expendables thinking, you know, I love action movies. This is going to be great. I, I appreciate a number of the uh, actors involved in this film. Uh, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Um, but, nope. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I found a lot of it uh, boring. I don't like the humor, like no, none of the jokes work. 
some of the action is fun. Like there's a few there's there's a few action set pieces here and there that I really enjoy. But uh, I don't know if it's I'm more of a martial arts guy and I want more of that, like fighting. I don't know if it's just the way that the uh, action is filmed and I prefer you know. So, some something different. I I I haven't put my finger on it. I maybe it's something I need to wrestle with more. All I know is I you know I, I had seen it casually before and thought uh, that that's actually not as great as I think it should be. And but this is the first time I sat with it and really paid attention. Specifically, uh, my experience might have been made not as great because I watched the extended director's cut, <laughs> right? Uh, hoping that that would actually add. It's an experience, and it, it didn't for me at all. Um, and and I guess if as I was thinking about it, some of my favorite actors in the film just weren't doing very much. Right. Um, and I wonder if that maybe tainted my experience a little bit, because uh, or at least they weren't given much to do. Um, and that I don't know. I don't know. Was well, that well, well, the, just exploring that a little bit, Liam? Who is your favorite of these action stars? Uh, two that I particularly enjoy are uh, Jet Li and Dolph Lundgren. Right. Uh, Jet Li is not great at this movie. Uh, he, Sorry, can you refer to him as Yin Yang instead <laughs> of Jet Li, please? Yin Yang as a character is, I guess, he, it's just funny because he's small. Um, he, he gets in a lot of fights that he doesn't, kick ass in, which I was surprised at, because when I think of Jet Li, I think of um, someone who, in films, is portrayed as, like, near-invincible oftentimes. Like, sure. he can fight a million dudes. And in this movie, you know, Dolph Lundgren, it, 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 his fight, specifically with Dolph Lundgren, which is funny, because I like Dolph Lundgren, but the idea that because Dolph Lundgren is bigger, he therefore, you know, could easily take Jet Li, just doesn't feel real to me. It felt... I mean, I, I say real in the sense of can't go along with it. None of it feels particularly real. But I, I mean in the sense of, like, it just wasn't fun to watch. Nothing about that was enjoyable. And then Dolph Lundgren, he's just sort of lumbering around as, like, this jerk. And he's vaguely homicidal, but I don't necessarily understand why. And I don't know. I And then some of the other featured people I realized, like, Randy uh, Couture, is that his mm-hmm. name? Yeah. I, I don't care about that guy. Like, that's a guy I can't. Well, there are people who do care about him. I'm certain that you understand that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm just saying, again, this is about how I was experiencing the film, which is, sure. uh, whatever. I mean, the only person who I've enjoyed in other films uh, that has a lot of screen time that I was kind of surprised by was Jason Statham. I mean, uh you know, Sylvester Stallone's character, who's kind of the hero, is a little mopey and his humor is not that great. But I thought Jason Statham is really going to be, you know, my my anchor for sure. to this movie. I didn't I didn't like him. I didn't like him in this movie. I don't well, know. That's fair. I mean, that's entirely fair. I'll be honest. I actually lean a little closer to your side of uh, things, Liam. I think the most difficulty I had with this movie is that all of these actors, all of these action stars that I like. They're not all. They're not necessarily playing the archetypes which I like them the most in. And to me, you know, the movie should almost. And I mean, I guess I'm rewriting things for my own preferences. But if it was more like a Seven Samurai esque setup, some of the actors in this seem sort of like afterthoughts. Seeing Dolph Lundgren playing sort of the wisecracking uh, anti-hero member of the group, 
who ends up taking in with the bad guys and uh, and then kind of has a, a reconciliation at the end. I think he's really good. I think he's actually the highlight of the movie by a significant amount. But that's not how I see Dolph Lundgren in my mind, right? Mm. If anything, he should be the silent, badass, you know, uh, uh, unstoppable monster. And like you said, Jet Li is someone, when you see him in, like, the, the Fong Sai-Yuk movies or, you know, any of his most memorable roles, he plays someone who overcomes his small size by being impossibly skilled, and in this movie, you don't really get the sense that he's that skilled at all. Uh, he never really gets to win in any of his fights, which is not the best way to set up people as uh, as as being as being someone that you're emotionally connected with. Or maybe it would be if he if he lost and then won a little bit later. Maybe it's just a little overstuffed. I also have to say I didn't feel particularly connected to the plot. Like I didn't really care if they were able to save this nation or not. And in fact, it seemed like Stallone didn't care either. He only cared about that girl who I didn't feel like they really had any connection either. So I think it's a movie that's more, it's more like it's, instead of it being more than the sum of its parts, the sum of its parts are really the only reason to really enjoy it. And that's fine. Like seeing these people together is almost enough to carry you through it. I just didn't enjoy myself once I got past that. Uh, and also, maybe it's a, a case where I was hoping that the action itself would be a little bit more impressive. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of like the violence is very uh, obviously um, CG'd. I, I felt like uh, at the time, I remember when the movie came out, there was some question about whether this movie was even going to be R-rated. It's extremely violent, so um, I'm glad that they stuck with that. But it felt like the violence was in a way that if they wanted to. They could make it so it would be entirely bloodless, right? They would just have to not sure. add the blood to the scenes and yeah. not have the guys getting blown in half. And they could just still have a PG-13 version of this movie. And that's something that maybe I had a little bit of difficulty with. But the fu- fuck off, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's stop talking about that for a second. Because one thing that I did discuss with you guys before we started recording was the idea that if you wanted to make your own action super team – your own version of the Expendables, who would be on that team? Maybe that'll give us a bit of a sense of the kind of personalities that are talking about this movie right now. Steven, can we start with you? If you needed to take your favorite action stars and put them on a team, what kind of names would be on them? Oh, let me see. Um, I'd probably go with uh, Scott Atkins as the... Oh, yes. Because I think he's ready for a big fucking starring role. I think he's a great leader, and I think his, like, you know, to to Stallone's Statham Christmas character, because they were kind of like the buddies of the film, which I really like their relationship together in this film and the next film. Um, I'd give, I'd team him up with Donnie Yen, because I think he'd be good with a knife, and he always needs a good (laughs) knife guy. And then every one of these groups needs the funny guy, and so I'd I'd I'd, re- I'd go to, to, you know, do the wrestler thing and grab Dolph Ziggler from WWE, <laughs> throw him in as the comedian guy, because he kind of looks like a young Kurt Russell also. Sure. And then you need to get the girl in there, so I'd go, I think Michelle Rodriguez would be good with demolitions, so I'd sure. throw her in, because I like her fight scenes in those Fast and Furious films. And, you know, and then kind of get like, like a... An older gentleman, I'd probably throw in, like, Vincent Cassell. He's French. Oh, that's a really interesting pick, actually. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes you just need the 
he did some martial arts in the Crimson Rivers. You know, he did he had, <laughs> he had the French martial arts sequence in that film, which I kind of dig. And uh, Brotherhood of Wolf had some martial arts. That's true. He, you know, so I think that's enough. And Doberman, he's been in some action stuff. So just I think he's a good uh, older man to throw in the group. That would be a very different movie for sure. Liam, turning over to you, if you had to create your action super team, let's keep it to five. Who would you pick? Well, you know, you say keep it to five, which is helpful uh, because I, I had trouble coming down the five. But luckily, um, uh, Scott Atkins and Donnie Yen were on my list, too. So now I can take them off, and I'm now down <laughs> to five. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's funny that you kept mentioning um, Kurt, Kurt Russell because I was going to go with him as my old guy. I, I understand he's he's quite old now, um, <laughs> but... I, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that a lot of the other guys in this movie are quite old as well. So um, I think Kurt Russell kind of works as that uh, maybe like mentory kind of character, you know, like his whatever. Um, I really, I know he hasn't, he hasn't been in anything recently that I love, but I still have hope for Tony Jaw. Just that that first Ung Bak movie. He's so kicks so much ass that you I know, watch. Uh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you there, Liam. Have you seen SPL two? Yes. No, I have. Well, not. I saw SPL two at the Toronto International Film Festival last year, and Tony Jaa is fucking amazing in it. And that movie, by the way, blows away the first SPL. It is so so much better. And the the action in it. There's at least three fight scenes that are better than anything in the first movie. Uh, it it. I think it will reinvigorate your enjoyment of Tony Jaa as an actor because I'm like you, you know, it felt like he was a little lost in the woods, both figuratively and literally. Yeah, I I appreciate that because I, I really that and that movie was so important for me. It was one of the first movies where I went on my way to find the DVD deals cart in the mall that was all the <laughs> bootleg Asian movies, and you know I, I sought that film out. You know, so it 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 has that it has weight for me. Another movie which I saw which blew me away and now has this weight for me uh, was The Raid, uh, and so the. You know, I, I tried to pronounce these names, and I feel like I will fail to pronounce them. But uh-huh. uh, but the main character from the raid and uh, the Mad Dog from the raid. Uh, you mean those guys from the Force Awakens who were also in the Force Awakens? <laughs> uh, and were they also? I know the they weren't in the director's first movie though, right? Uh, the the eco was. Oh, uh, okay. I, actually, I can't remember if both of them are, are not, but the actor who played Mad Dog was actually in Yakuza Apocalypse. The, uh, he was, yes, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, So <laughs> As an anime-loving maniac, it's great. Yeah, I think they're both uh, great, and they, they, for me, are like younger. Uh, I mean, they're not that young, but the idea of like they're not that old and they could bring a little energy. And then I thought, well, that's, you know, that's Kurt Russell with... Uh, Three Asian gentlemen. Perhaps I need someone who who uh, American audiences will maybe identify with a little bit. Sure. Even if, even, well, maybe not, but I think they will. Ray Stevenson. Uh, a lot of people, oh. a lot of people love that Punisher Warzone movie. I'm a little iffy on it, but I think he's cool in it, and I I think he's cool in a lot of other things, and I. I just feel like he's another guy who I would like to see do something bigger uh, and better. But I do know, since you told me a little bit of your list, that your list is of a whole other nature than what I did. Well, I decided to go in the in the direction of the League of Extraordinary Expendables. <laughs> <laughs> 
Where I could just pick my favorite action uh, actors or actresses throughout history and uh, and make up my team. But I'm going to go through them really quickly so we can get back to the movie. My first pick is Ted Pryor as Mike Denton from Deadly Prey, the <laughs> classic action movie directed by the late David Pryor. Uh, follow that up with Gordon Liu as Monk Sante from the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. <laughs> the time period may not fit, but he's in there anyway. Next up is, yeah, I'm going to go with it. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger as Colonel John Matrix from Commando. <laughs> Number four is Sonny Chiba as Terry Sarugi from the Street Fighter films. Yes. Yep. Uh, he could even be a bad guy if you wanted to put him in there. I just wanted Sonny Chiba in there. And I'm going to finish up with Chalion Fat as Tequila from John Woo's Hard Boiled. Uh, I don't know how these characters would come together as a fighting force of extraordinary magnitude, but I certainly would like to see it. Uh, Liam, you said you had some um, issues with the action in The Expendables, but there are some scenes that kind of jumped out at you. What's your favorite action scene from the movie? That's a really good question. Um, the So I know this is kind of, for the most part, the humor doesn't work for me, but there's a moment right when they are, it's sort of the climax. There's this is part of the issue is that there's so many uh, uh, phases of action. So sure. they're in the castle. They've sort of figured some stuff out in the castle, and then the army is attacking, and the general is encouraging the army to attack, and then he gets shot. Uh, and then uh, Terry Crews is just basically shooting a lot of things with for no reason particularly. With his, he has an automatic shotgun. With an automatic shotgun. And I have fantasized as an action fan from the 80s about an automatic shotgun forever. <laughs> so there was a part of me that was kind of like, oh, shit, automatic shotgun. That's kind of cool. You know, I was, I was kind of stoked on that. Um, I actually thought some of the chase sequence with Statham and Stallone, even though I didn't love them in this movie overall, some of the chase sequence when they're on the island was okay. I kind of liked that. Uh, I thought I the, one of the few sort of actiony jokes that actually made me laugh was when they just blew up the whole pier. I was like, that's so unnecessary, but I kind of like that <laughs> that they went that far with it, you know. Um, so those those kind of stick out to me. Uh, the the climax, like the whole end sequence, was just continually climax of action. Some of those fights, I was actually surprised because you know I said I don't really know much about our man Randy Couture or anything. He has one or two very short fight sequences that made me think they could have done more with him fighting. I, you know what I mean? But there's a lot more shooting things and blowing up than people getting sure. beat up in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess if it's not, uh, you know, early John Woo, I'm less stoked on that. But there's a lot of 80s action movies I enjoy. So, again, I'm not sure what the disconnect was, but I found myself not excited and less engaged in those sequences. Well, if you want to see more of Randy Couture, he's in one of the Scorpion Kings. Sequences. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> Steven, turning it over to you, what was your favorite action moment in the movie? Um, probably, um, think, yeah, it's probably the, the battle, of course, at the ending, there's just, there's this crazy fight sequence. It's, um, and I, yeah, I, I agree with I agree with Liam. The, the director's cut isn't very good. It's like you have to watch the theatrical cut because the editing I think is really good. It's pretty phenomenal during the ending because you have many different types of action happening at the same time. You have this Stallone is fighting um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and it's just uh, it's a pretty cool brawl. But in the other room, you have Jason Statham 
fucking throwing knives in people's faces and shooting their ankles and then catching them again with another bullet as they're falling. And then you have Jet Li fighting Gary Daniels, and then Statham and Jet Li team up on Gary Daniels, and he does one of the best fatalities I have seen, like, in a while. That fight between those three just put a smile on my face. I wish there was more Gary Daniels in this film, but mm-hmm. that, yeah, that I little agree battle scene well. at the ending, and then, you know, Terry Crews comes in and just blows everyone into fucking... Blows everyone to bits in <laughs> the fight. I, I love that action sequence. And what follows after that is, like, the most explosions in any movie ever made. <laughs> the, the ending of this film is so many explosions. But I, I agree. I mean, Randy Couture, I'm not very – Couture is like a fucking fashion, right? I'm not even saying his name right. But <laughs> he's, I'm not into him doing the boss battle with Steve Austin at the ending. It just didn't fit. He's probably the one member of the group I'm not really too into, but I love everyone else in this film. And I do, I did like the doll first Jet Li sequence, you know. I was bummed that he was turning, but I'm happy he returns in the sequel and Jet Li and Dolph have a, have a relationship. But I love that fight. And I also love the car chase because it was like totally Stallone bringing back Cobra. If you look at the car chase in Cobra, (laughs) and you look at the car chase in this, both cars are very similar. Same same type of old school car that all of a sudden has a fucking sick engine and can tear up the street. (laughs) There's machine gunning, and there's... It's a fantastic chase sequence. And... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally had a different experience than you guys, but on an action... (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the story... The story... The story... Not really too into, but I'm digging the action, and I'm digging, like, fucking Eric Roberts has all the best one-liners in this film. Like, he <laughs> tears up this film with one-liners throughout the whole film, you know? Well, let's move on to Eric Roberts in just one second, since we are, we're, we're blazing through time here. I just want to mention just one odd kind of secondary plot element of the movie, which involves Jason Statham's character trying to reconnect with his uh, girlfriend, who, because he's gone all the time, and she doesn't know what he does for a living, she has uh, started a new relationship with someone who is beating her. And the movie, I don't know what the morality of the movie is trying to say. It really does seem to be suggesting that one, if you have a guy as great as Jason Statham, he doesn't have to tell you what he does for a living, and he can just leave for a month and not tell you where he's going, but you better stay faithful to him, because if you don't, some dude's going to beat the shit out of you and he's going to then come back and beat the shit out of that dude. But just really to show you how much you've lost. Very strange. It's actually that, that part where he beats the shit out of a bunch of guys on a basketball court. That's very similar to that scene from the specialist where Stallone beats up all those punks. Cause it's just there to show you, Hey, this guy's a good guy. Mm-hmm. These other people are bad guys. You don't have to care about them. So just let him beat the shit out of them for a little while and maybe threaten them with a knife. So anyway, I had a weird issue with that particular part of the movie. It just kind of felt um it kind of, it kind of felt reflective of the personal politics of maybe the person writing it as opposed to how real life actually operates. But let's go back to Eric Roberts. You were mentioning Stephen that Eric Roberts has some of the best one-liners in this entire movie. He is the bad guy. He's the CIA agent or the sorry, the uh, rogue CIA agent who sort of um masterminding all of the bad stuff that is happening uh, on this island that the, most of the movie takes place in. 
Uh, and he is pure evil. He is a complete prick throughout. He has no morals. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder how he got into the CIA in the first place. <laughs> I guess I guess he had some good points we just don't see. But uh, but he's playing really just an absolute scumbag. But he's having a lot more fun with it here than he was in the Specialist. Stephen, what did you think of Eric Roberts as a performer in this movie? Uh, he was a fantastic bad guy, actually. Like I said, he had some. He's really funny in the film. You know, like uh, the guys. Um, I can't really get into plot. You might have to cut this out. But I, I was attempt, about to attempt to try to do one of his one-liners, and I just can't. Oh, let's hear it. Um, I just the problem is is that the setup will take me. I'll destroy the setup. You know what I was told just a couple of days ago is that one person who does a great Eric Roberts impression is Andrew Dice Clay. Apparently on, on uh, I think it was maybe the Joe Rogan podcast he was on, and he does an impression of Eric Roberts. And I didn't think anybody did an impression of Eric Roberts, except, of course, Stephen Scarlett, who's going to give it to us right now. What does Eric Roberts sound like? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Liam? What's your favorite Eric Roberts line, and can you give it to us in his voice? I, no, I can't. I mean, my, my, probably one of my favorite lines is when he freaks no, I was going to say when he freaks out in uh, Stalk on My Doctor, but yeah. actually, Golden Shoes, uh, where, where he's like, where, where uh, the kid... Well, my wife's never coming back. Yeah, yeah, I want to see my mom. I want to see my wife, but she's never coming back. That's one of my favorites, but I can't do Eric Roberts. Because so, there's something about Eric Roberts where he has um, a mild slur and a mild drawl a little bit. Yes. That I can't reproduce. I can't do anything, even mildly southern, unless it's like the most unrealistic stereotype caricature. Any <laughs> well, subtle, I couldn't do it. I could be spot on with my Eric Roberts impression, but unfortunately, I'm suffering from a cold. But going back over to you, Stephen, um, what, what were some of your favorite Eric Roberts moments in this movie? You mentioned his great one-liners. He also has a fitting end. Yeah, the the. Yeah, his, his his death scene's pretty amazing. Was he gets shot and like a Jason machete goes through his. <laughs> but besides that, my favorite Eric Roberts moment in the whole movie is something that, from the moment I saw it on that gigantic screen at the Cinerama Dome, like made me. I laughed out loud, and I was the only one, and it made me happy. Was there's just this little glimpse during when Stallone and Statham are staking out the island and the first time they get a glimpse of Eric Roberts, like, mm-hmm. his crew knock over a fucking fruit stand and Eric <laughs> Roberts bends down and picks up an apple and he smells it. And that scene just made me... Every time I watch this film, I can't wait for the... <laughs> when Eric Roberts smells the apple. My favorite moment. Might be one of my top five favorite moments in Eric Roberts' history cinema I, I remember that apple being almost shockingly shiny in that scene <laughs> <laughs> like it was, I, was, I was like that is a fine piece of produce that yeah. eric roberts has picked up no wonder he smelled it <laughs> it's my favorite it's my favorite eric roberts moment <laughs> Liam, what, what did you think of eric roberts in this movie uh he's good he i mean he i i don't mean this as to impugn his uh, uh integrity or dignity but he's really good at this kind of role like he can play this kind of – I mean, he can also freak out, but this, there's a certain dignity to this villain. He's, he, he comes mm-hmm. across like he's above everything, like he's a little bit better, like he has the plan. He's not going to touch – he, he's not going to get his hands dirty if he can help it. He's got all these 
various heavies to help him enact his nefarious goals. I love it. I love him in this role. I, I mean, again, he's also done some things that were opposite of this that were just as great, but this sort of thing I think is right up his alley. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he's he's a great scumbag. I like that like you said, he's he's sort of aloof in his character, but when the shit really goes down, when it really hits the fan, he becomes as cowardly as you know he is anyway, right? Where he's like, you know, holding the girl in front of him and murdering her father by shooting him in the back and all that shit. Right. So, it, it, you know, he's he's just he's a scumbag and he has no morals, but he has respectability to a point, which again, that that is the kind of Eric Roberts role that we uh, we love to see here on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. But yeah, since we're blazing through the rest of the time we have, let's go right to it. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man or no in The Expendables? Steven? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, says Steven. What do you think, Liam? I gotta agree. All right, that's two, and I will add to the chorus and say that Eric Roberts is the fucking man in The Expendables from 2010. Uh, I have to admit, I haven't seen the sequels to The Expendables yet. I'm very curious about the second one. I have to be honest. I should go and watch that, and maybe, I, maybe I'll find the enjoyment in that that I had difficulty sometimes finding in the first one. But that's enough of The Expendables. Let's take our final break, and when we return, we'll have a little talk with Steven, and we'll, we'll wind this thing down. Join us in a minute. Episode number 24 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man had the wonderful guest, Stephen Scarlatta, on here to talk about The Expendables and The Specialist, two movies with Sylvester Stallone in our Stallone-a-Palooza special, two movies which have two words in them, starting with the word the. How interesting is that? Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, the scheduling of this, I know that it's not the easiest time. You're actually on the West Coast right now. We're recording on a Sunday. I just really want to show how much I appreciate you coming on and talking about these movies with us. Uh, no, I, I really appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you very much. Steven has been a big supporter of the show since the very beginning, and he's someone that I've known via social media for years and years, and this is our first opportunity to uh, to, to speak together. And what uh, what better topic to speak on than Mr. Eric Roberts. You know, during one of the breaks, Stephen, you mentioned that you actually had a personal uh, uh, experience with Eric Roberts. Would you like to relate that? Oh, yeah. I, I was working on a show called Femme Fatales, and while I was working on Dune, I was PAing, and doing that at the same time. And I got, one day I got to pick up Eric Roberts from his home and drive him to set. And just really quick, I drove up to his house. He buzzed me into the backyard and Eric Roberts was standing there with sunglasses in a, <laughs> in a suit, middle of the summer. And then he was holding his wardrobe for the film, which was another suit. <laughs> hung it up and I drove him to set. And I asked him about the Expendables, and I asked him about the ambulance, and he was very cool. <laughs> and really quick, I had a, I was 
something happened that day. There was no traffic, and I was getting them to set really early. So they called, they texted me to get lost with Eric Roberts because they don't <laughs> look unprofessional. They want to make sure he gets to set at a good time. So I had to pretend to get lost, and he knew I was lost, but he was the he didn't he he was he was very cool. The whole time. He didn't give me shit. He didn't yell at me. But he was like, huh, that's a really interesting street you're turning. Like, he just said little <laughs> things. Just try to point me in the right direction without being, you know, a dick. And that was really awesome. But also, one more thing. Like, we drove by a building, and he pointed out, that looks like the building we did Star 80 in. And he was just a cool cat, man. Um, I'm very humbled I got to do that, spend that time with Eric Roberts. I wonder if he if he does that with like all of his movies. Or it's like that looks like the building where we shot a talking cat in. Yeah, maybe he <laughs> he just goes through his whole career in his head as he's driving around. That actually is a great anecdote. <laughs> that must have been the most uncomfortable thing for you to have to intentionally look incompetent. Yeah, but I got to spend more time with him, so there you that go. was cool. Stephen, if people want to check out more of your work or follow what you're doing in the future, what's the best way for them to do so? Oh, just, yeah, follow me on Twitter, and then from there you can see all my other, you know, like, that's where you can see pretty much all my activity. And where, how can people find you on Twitter? Oh, it's, look up my name, Stephen Scarlatta, and then my, my tag is X Neck, the word neck, and then X. And that's my tag on Twitter. And you must follow Stephen on Twitter, because he's, of course, not only is a, a witty and intelligent and fun person, but he has a lot of interesting things to say, and I'm, I'm proud to be able to say that I've, uh, I've continued our relationship for all these many years, Stephen. I think that you're a pretty amazing person. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Like, same to you. I, for Same here. You, you're like one of my first friends on Twitter, to be honest, and yeah, it's been a, it's been a pleasure discussing films with you throughout the years it's it's been awesome man and thank you and i love what you do and it's uh, been a pleasure to be on your show man really what i do is unfortunately have a podcast about eric roberts <laughs> anyway <laughs> that, that that's incredible <laughs> making art that's it that's it that's what i have to keep telling myself liam thank yeah. you as well for being my partner in life and my partner in this eric roberts podcast we were talking about the specialist and the Expendables, if people want to keep up on your work, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, the easiest would be to follow me on Twitter. That's at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. Uh, or they can head over to uh, Cinepunks.com, and there's a lot of things going on on that website that I am a part of. And what about this hardcore music festival? Oh, sure. We are, as usual, still selling tickets Uh Thursday is sold out, but there are still tickets for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, as well as uh, three-day passes and four-day passes. And this, um, is the, this is Hardcore Festival? Yep. Uh, Philadelphia, August, oh, I'm the worst, Fourth, four, five, six, seven, I think. We'll, we'll, put, we'll put the information in the show notes just to make sure people don't yep. screw that up like uh, Liam just did. <laughs> this is HardcoreFest.com uh, or find us on Facebook. We do most of our regular updates are on Facebook, and uh, we've been posting a lot of, like, demos of some of the opening bands like people might not have heard of, information on various things. There might be some giveaways coming up, so def definitely hit us up on Facebook. I'll do that. And, of course, you can find me over on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E. 
Why? You can find my writing over at dailygrindhouse.com. My other podcast is No Budget Nightmares at nobudgetpodcast.com. If you want to find out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man, you can go to ericrobertsistheman.com. Why don't you subscribe via iTunes? Why don't you leave us a review? That would be very nice of you. You can also follow us on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. Or if you want to get some behind-the-scenes information, go over to Facebook and do a search for Eric Roberts is the man. We have a group there as well. Please, Give us feedback. We always like suggestions of future Eric Roberts material to cover. But with that, I've kept you all much too long. So it's time for us to say adieu. Stallone Palooza comes to an end, but please keep celebrating the birthday of one Mr. Eric Roberts. Why don't you, if you're listening right now, send him a birthday wish through Twitter, through Facebook, through however you choose to do so. Say hello to Eric Roberts from Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Good night, everybody. Why don't you say good night, friends? Good night. <laughs> Enthusiastic good night. <laughs> Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.